Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And this is going to be a longer introduction than normal because we're living in extraordinary times. Due to recent events, as I'm recording this episode, I feel called to pause and really honor the gravity of what's happening around us on the planet. Many of us have been following the news. We know we cannot escape the devastating effects of natural disasters. I imagine as you are listening to this right now, you likely know someone who has been personally affected by the California wildfires, maybe even lost everything. I know I know someone. We're all so intimately connected in ways our rational minds can't comprehend. Those affected by recent tragedies need to spend time in the grieving and recovery process of their tragic loss. It's definitely a trauma. And with my deepest compassion, I send my love and sympathies to all those suffering right now. We're not going to talk about personally surviving the trauma today. However, this disaster is a good example of why we turn our attention to the question, what now? When a beloved place is decimated by physical damage, whether natural disaster, toxic waste, fracking, mining, oil spills, clear cutting, and even the tragic wildfires, the barren land haunts us, hurts us, and calls us to respond. When the place and the places we love are devastated, we feel devastated. How do we cope? Seeing images of the destruction from afar leaves us feeling grief, despair, overwhelm, and even hopelessness. But imagine standing on the ground, standing on that sacred ground in that place right now, asking, what now? We can mourn what we've lost and say goodbye. We can donate money and supplies. We can call our congressional representatives and we can even ignore the damage entirely. However, what if there's a totally counterintuitive way to respond? What if there were a way to rediscover hope and even beauty in what remains? Author and activist Treby Johnson suggests that the creation of art, ritual, and even joy to honor these lost and wounded places is not just possible, but is, in fact, crucial to our collective healing. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest Treby Johnson is an author and frequent speaker on the relationship between people and nature. She's led workshops, retreats, and rites of passages programs internationally since 1995, such as a retreat in the old growth clear-cut forest, a ceremony at Ground Zero after 9-11, and a walk 
in weapons testing grounds at Elgin Air Force Base. In 2009, Treby founded the nonprofit organization Radical Joy for Hard Times, dedicated to finding and making beauty in wounded places. And now she's published a book by the same title, Radical Joy for Hard Times. Welcome, Treby. Thank you so much, Julie. It was a beautiful introduction. Well, thank you. It was an unusual introduction for this um, show. We usually just jump right into that conversation, but these are important times, like I mentioned, and I am incredibly honored to have you here with us to really talk about all of this. Um, Yeah, and where to begin. It's so big. So we're going to start with our traditional first question here on the show, Treby. I usually like to ask my guests a question that kind of grounds our conversation in a bigger perspective and a more whole worldview. So can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Um, I picture a rose bush. And on the rose bush, some of the blossoms are just beginning to unfold. Some are little tiny tight buds. Some are in full glorious flower. Some are wilting. Some are lying on the ground with their petals all turning brown. And yet all of them are part of the rose bush. The rose bush does not discriminate. And to me, that's what the earth is. We are all flowers on the bush of the earth. And we all belong and all places belong and all people belong. And it's just a matter of recognizing that and being in relationship with it. Mm. That is a beautiful, beautiful response to that question. And I've just, I'm seeing and picturing that rose bush with you and seeing these cycles of life and seeing, um, you know, Sometimes we're we're clipping roses and bringing them in the house, and we're we're doing all these different things. And what we do with one bud or one bush affects all of it, doesn't it? So, mm-hmm. wow, what a topic we have today! And um, I really, I'll be really honest with you. I read this book, and I paused and. I felt like I don't even know how to craft questions for this conversation. Your book is so well-written, so many beautiful um, citations, examples, stories. It's, it's so comprehensive. And then ideas. And then the ideas really do whittle down into a simplistic form. And I know you're going to share that with our listeners as we go on. But why don't we start with your story, Trebby? Um, I'm curious about the little girl, Trebby, if she was out playing in the Rose Garden um, as a little girl, <laughs> because you seem like you are just innately an environmental activist, like it's in your bones. When I read your words, it's been there um, from birth. So I'd love to hear your story. Yeah, it's it, it has been. I mean, I've always I've always been in love with the earth. I've always seen the earth as alive and all the bits and pieces of it. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, I came from a, an alcoholic family where there was a lot of uh, yelling and screaming and uh, hitting, and um, and I would go out to my backyard and. I would find beauty there in the way the birds were singing, in the way an insect was diving into an iris, 
even in things that were were dead and decaying on in the grass, you know, like a, a, a rabbit or a mouse. And to me, nature was about telling the truth. And like I talked about with the rose bush, everything fit, the dying fit, the hungry fit, the birth, the, what was born, um, what was singing, it, it all fit. And it affirmed for me the necessity of knowing my own truth which is that I, I'm not living in a normal family and everything is not going to be okay. And being grounded in my own reality, because, you know, in a, in an alcoholic family, there's a lot of denial and promises that everything's going to be different. Uh, and the backyard told me, no, this is where you belong. This is where reality is. And the beautiful and the sad can exist at the same moment and you don't have to choose. So it was, I was really, I really grew up with this whole idea that I write about in this book, which is that grief and beauty are, they're like two feathers that we hold in the palm of our hands. They belong together. They're, they're complementary to each other. Mm. I'm going to read a quote about beauty a little bit later because it's one of my favorite quotes in the book and I'd love to talk more about beauty but I so this really endearing childhood story of really going in the backyard and having nature teach you the true nature of our reality like nature was teaching you reality you said and um, I really appreciate that that wisdom you must have been a precocious little girl um, I, I get it I relate to that too and by the way I'm a fellow Nebraskan so really hello yes wow yes so Trebby I am I, I know from your book reading that the history of this organization, Radical Joy for Hard Times. Um, you established it in 2009, but you began really pulling threads and weaving it together way sooner than that. So let's just talk a little bit about that journey and what prompted you to, to create this organization. Yeah, way, way sooner. It actually, the, the seed was planted in 1987 and it was planted by David Paulus, whom I dedicate the book to. And he is, is an Oneida man. And I did a video about him in 1987 for uh, an IBM uh, audiovisual show. I was living and working in New York and I wrote and produced soundtracks for audiovisual shows. And uh, this was to motivate this, the sales force of IBM and thank them for their good work. And I discovered him. He had an interesting story. He had, he had found a method of recycling steel waste. And so the client and I and the, the photographer, we went out to Oneida and I started interviewing David and he described the day he had won, he had received a National Science Foundation grant, very prestigious grant. He was the first Native American ever to get this grant. He wasn't 40 years old, so he was feeling pretty cocky and proud of himself. So he drove out to the Kaiser Steel plant in California and parked and got two buckets out of his car that he was going to take to the top of this huge mound of steel waste and get samples to analyze in his lab. So he he climbed up to the top of this hill, which he described as really hard packed red iron oxide. And when he got to the top, he put the buckets down and he said to the mountain, I will conquer you. So he filled up his buckets. He went back down to his car. And when he got down to his car, he just thought that's not the right way to think about this. So he set up 
prayer to the creator, show me the right way to think about this. And what he realized in the next moment was, as he said, the waste is not an enemy to be conquered. It is an orphan that has gotten separated from the circle of life. My job is to bring it back into the circle of life. And I was just so touched by that. It opened up a doorway for me that I feel like I'd been looking for my whole life, but I didn't even know it. It seemed to me that it was a way to think about places that were hurt, landscapes that were damaged, animals that were uh, endangered, and to start recycling our attention, our, our, our thoughts about them before we even did any kind of like physical recycling or restoration or, or, or giving money and all those things that you talked about earlier. It was just a, it was a way to think about what was damaged in a whole different way. And that was not that they're not that they're useless and wasted and ugly and toxic, but that they're they're living things that are meaningful and have somehow got separated from life and just need to be brought in. And the first way to bring them back in is to bring them back in in our thoughts. So that was this story that inspired me. And then I spent years and years and years trying to figure out how to do this. Was I going to write about it? I wrote several articles that were sort of dancing around this topic. And uh, I led this like the ceremony in the in in uh, New York after September 11th and various things. And it finally dawned on me that I could start a nonprofit organization because I found out that people aren't really wanting to spend money to go to damaged places as a rule. You know, they're not interested in going and sitting on a clover leaf on the highway and meditating. So um, so I founded the nonprofit and it's become a, a, a global community of people who are interested in thinking about the places that they love that have been damaged in a new way. Well, it's brilliant. And we're going to dig into that in a second, but I really want to pause and just acknowledge that phrase that you heard. And it's a, a, a a title of a chapter even because it's really profound waste is an orphan from the circle of life and like you mentioned trevi that really brings home the 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 powerful um just this mental picture in my mind of really seeing all of life as interconnected like we talk about on the show so often, and then our waste. It's like, why would we literally disconnect a part of the whole from the whole and say it doesn't matter anymore? Where is it going? <laughs> like uh -huh. when you think of the circle of life, it's not just to say, wow, we're one with the earth, we're one with the planet, we're one with the animals, and then not care. When you look at it as the circle of life and an orphan, it really is a powerful metaphor for all of us to rethink how we see the world. Yeah, and as a, a point that, that I make along those very lines in the book is that we, when we go to psycho, a psychotherapist, we learn that we can't just throw aside parts of ourselves that we don't like or that we're ashamed of or that we try to push under the rug. We have to examine them and accept them and find out how they've served us and then incorporate them into our into our lives, into our psyches. And it's the same thing with the earth. When the earth gets damaged in some way by clear cutting or there's a chemical leak or whatever it is, the tendency is to is to ignore it and to and to say it's no good anymore. And we have to realize that the hurt places, just like the beautiful, pristine places, 
are part of the earth and part of our lives. And and we can't talk about living on the earth in a sustainable way without taking into consideration those places that can't do what they used to be able to do. Mm. So, Trebby, this, this brings up um, the conversation of our earth when we're looking at these wounds, these wounded places, these hurting places on the planet. We're not talking about climate change and global warming in a universal way on this topic here. We're really talking about, you give several examples, um, going to the mountaintop where it's been clear cut and absolutely nothing's growing. There are no animals, no birds, no plants. Um, we know what it looks like when there's an oil spill in the Gulf and we see these horrifying images of what it's doing to marine life, you know, and our poor little critters. So we're really talking, you're talking about wounded spaces on the planet that are literally lifeless, dying or dead and needing our full attention. Can you right. say more about that? Yeah. And, and what, what we've been very clear about with the organization Radical Joy for Hard Times is that what's, what's considered a wounded place is very, very individual. So it could be those massive things that you were just mentioning and it could also be something like a, a favorite tree in somebody's yard that's been uh, attacked by insect pests and it's dying and maybe it has to be cut down and the people are very sad. So it could be one particular tree and it could be it could be a whole city, you know, like uh, like Kabul, uh, Afghanistan, or where we actually do have a group of uh, young uh, Afghan peace volunteers making beauty for their whole city every year in a piece, in a permaculture garden. And it could be the, the town of Paradise, California, which has been completely destroyed by this horrible fire. Um, and it's it could be the rice fields of Bali where last year they did a a, a ceremony because th there's been so much rain. And so, as you said, it's we don't talk about climate change per se as a thing, but how it affects people on their land, in their waters, in their homes, because that's those are the repercussions we have to live with. And then there are, of course, countless other ones that occur all the time locally or you know, statewide or whatever. Yeah, I'm thinking about my beloved river that's just a few miles north of me and um, the flow of the Platte River coming out of Wyoming and Colorado and and the the changes that have happened with my river just over the last couple of decades, you know, is really dramatic and it's affecting our wildlife. So what we're talking about is really this personal connection. I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit, because I think that's another important part of the story. Be, before we talk about the solution is that we are literally, as well as metaphorically, connected to the land. Like mm -hmm. literally, we're connected, but emotionally, psychologically, physically, spiritually. I mean, there's so many different ways that we are connected. And that's what you talk about um, to introduce this is that that's our beloved land. And, and when that relationship to the land changes because of like someone going back to Paradise, California today and looking at it, um, I imagine it being breath breathless. I have 
goosebumps just thinking about it right now and, and just seeing the smoldering cinders and going, you know, I've had many conversations with my family over the holiday here and, and other times of going, where do you begin? What now? You know, the whole infrastructure has been affected. So, yeah. So when we lose that, when we lose the land, we lose a relationship to it. Our, our favorite childhood place, our, maybe it's our well-being and our, you know, our whole life is, has been dependent on a connection with the land. It could be a lot of different ways, but talk a little bit more about that relationship and that, that real personal loss and connection. Yeah, we're so, we're so connected to our place and, and perhaps it's the childhood place and it's, it's a place that you might like to go and spend time in every year, or, or it's a hiking trail, or it's, it's just your own garden in your house. Um, it's the, it's where the sun sets that you look, you look through the hills and you see the sun setting in a particular place. It's the way the river flows through a, a, a city. Um, it's, it's when you remember, for example, when you when you fell in love and you took a walk with your beloved and the and the leaves were falling from the trees and the air smelled a certain way because it was autumn. You know, I think important events in our lives are so tied into the season and what the weather was doing and and how the air smelled and what what sort of state the trees were in. And it's like as as um the Australian writer uh, Freya Matthews says, you, you, we're held by our places. And when tragic things happen in our lives, we we can go out into nature. I mean, I know it, it's the hardest times in my life. I have sought refuge in, in the natural world, um, even if it was, you know, even if it wasn't wild nature, if it was my own backyard. I've sought refuge there. And when something happens to your place, it's like there's nothing there to hold you anymore. It's devastating. Um, it, it's and it's not only about the people's houses, you know, when we're talking about paradise, it's also just about the hills and the trees and the and and the rivers and the animals. It's it's everything that composed that place that makes it whole, that makes it live in our hearts. And not it's not just that surrounds us. It's like places are are part of our blood. And um, and so when ha something happens to these places, it's 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 a terrible wrenching uh grief inducing event and and how do we process it and and i think a lot of the trouble that people have had is that we feel like it's inappropriate somehow to cry for a place you know it's okay to cry if your house is burned down but is it okay to cry if uh, if a forest is about to be cut or if a river is polluted uh and, and what I strongly and vehemently say is, yes, it's appropriate, and it's not only appropriate, but we need to do it because we need to acknowledge the depth and the, uh, and the intensity of our feelings about places. Mm, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's not just this interdependent relationship that we have with the earth that that tree that I'm looking out outside my window breathes in my exhale to give me a fresh inhale and yeah. I give it the fresh inhale um, to breathe, you know, so it's like, it's more than that. There are some people who are so emotionally tuned in as well to the elements and our elements are a foundational 
piece of life, right? It's our foundation. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it is more than just, wow, that's my childhood memory and it makes me sad. Um, many people on the planet right now are feeling the, the gravity of when you hurt the earth, you're hurting me in a, in a very real way. Yeah, def- yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so in honoring that, we're going to move into the second half and talk about what are some of the solutions. And I just want to presence before we go to break here um, that, Trebi, there are a lot of different organizations and and people who are doing different things to heal the land and heal the water. And um, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say, 90 some percent of those that I know, I know many, but 90 some percent are ceremonialist. Mm. They're indigenous. They're really connected with the land. They're doing really beautiful, profound ceremony and healing, or they're doing some dowsing. They're doing um, maybe cosmic and, and um, more expansive ways that they're doing it. What I've learned from you is so beautiful because radical joy for hard times introduces us ways to easily and efficiently and with joy begin to heal the land and heal ourselves in this relationship with a whole new prescription. So I honor you for this new voice. I hope that kind of teases you if you're listening out there that you want to learn more because I really want you to hear Trebi talk about this program and her suggestions and what you can do right now wherever you are on the planet. So we're going to take a quick break. When we return, more with Radical Joy for Hard Times with Trebby Johnson. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. We'll be right back. This is Namdi Asamoah. I play football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I do off the field with United Way might be more important. I'm a volunteer tutor and mentor. Why? Because over a million kids a year drop out of school, and that's not okay. It takes 12 years to create a graduate, but it takes about the same time to create a dropout. And the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be me, or it could be you. Studies show that if we get to these kids earlier, their chances are better. And kids who read well by third grade are more likely to graduate. So join me in United Way. Suit up and take the pledge. Become a volunteer reader, tutor, or mentor. Because when a child succeeds, we all succeed. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way, the Ad Council, and the National Football League. Yeah, you, it's me, your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious, and yours? Whoa. 
What happened to us? We used to be so much more active. But lately, you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. What's your favorite color? Tell us, please. Kids will spend 20 minutes listening to songs like this. What's your favorite color? What's your... How about two minutes to brush their teeth? Brushing for two minutes now can save your child from severe tooth pain later. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. Two minutes, twice a day. They have the time. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives and the Ad Council. I'm John, a volunteer at United Way. I'm here at Lincoln Elementary School to find out what this place needs. Who knows better about what kids need than kids, right? Let's ask them. Monsters! Lasers! A pool! Another guinea pig! More lasers! Sprinkles! I was thinking more spinach at lunchtime and maybe more exercise. Nah. Uh-uh. Lasers are cool. When it comes to creating healthier communities, what this place needs is you. To donate or volunteer, go to unitedway.org. Because great things happen when we live united. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and also listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected where we continue the conversation. You can find out more about Treby Johnson and the Radical Joy for Hard Times organization at www.radicaljoyforhardtimes.org. Again, just like it's spelled, .org. So, Treby, welcome back to the second half. I want to just read a beautiful quote because I think it kind of sets our next conversation in this really beautiful essence of your heart and your spirit. It says, of course, love is not enough to save the world, but recognizing that a strong attachment exists between me and the great, big, complex, beautiful, troubled mesh that I never leave and never leaves me is a beginning. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So let's talk about that beginning. Um, You have some very concrete, specific, and simple instructions and invitations for people to begin doing the healing all around them. And you have thousands of people who've worked with you over the years around the planet who are doing things. So let's talk about that. What can we do and what are others doing? Yeah, well, you know, I on this long journey that I was on to try and figure out what does it what what does it mean, what can it be, to um, to care about the places that have been damaged. Um, 
it, it finally began to dawn on me that we already have these tools at our disposal. It's just that we typically think of them as belonging to our relationship with human beings and not with the land. And and I was trying to think of tools that were that anybody could use. Like you, you didn't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a scientist. You don't have to belong to a particular religion or gender. Uh, you can be anywhere in the world. Um, you don't have to haul in a lot of supplies. You don't have to call a stranger at dinner time. So what what are these things? And so what it, it it finally just sort of all fell into place. Well, one of the things we can do is we can go and visit these places, these places that have been hurt. Like we would visit a friend who was ill, go sit at their bedside, maybe shed a few tears with them because you feel sad that they can't do what they used to be able to do. Just like these places, a lot of them can't do what they used to be able to do, like like nurture fish and snails and and, and aquatic plants, you know. So, um, and then another thing is to get to know them as they are now. So I, I once led um, some programs for people with life-altering illnesses. And one of the complaints of people one of the sadnesses of people who have these illnesses is that sometimes their friends desert them so or or treat them differently as if they're somehow tainted or toxic or something. So what do we know about a place that's damaged? What can we rediscover about it? So like this um, this vigil that I led in a clear-cut forest in British Columbia, we spent every day we would go out and sit in various parts of this landscape and just get to know it, get to find out what was growing there, what was what was dead, what was uh, what was beautiful, what's what struck our heart as being really sad, what surprised us, what delighted us, getting to know this place. And another one is is just paying attention to how we're touched in in these hurt places, like like sort of like what I just said. Where, where do where do we feel sad? Where do we feel hopeful? Where do we feel angry and passionate and and furious at, at what's happened to to this place to make it in its current condition. And then another way of being in relationship with it is to, this is really the essence of it, is to give a gift back to these places. Give a gift back to the place that has given so much to humans and animals and plants and stones and rivers in the air and now can't quite do what it used to be able to do, give a gift back to it. And this gift is something that we find on site. It's something that we make out of our own voices with a dance, with a prayer, um, or with the stones and the sticks and the uh, the sand, the flowers that are there on site. And and that's really important because it's so kind of a way of saying that everything that we need in order to make beauty or to see beauty already exists there. It doesn't require any outside interference or hauling of in of anything. It's it's right there. And there's something about this these little simple steps, especially this giving back of a gift of beauty that really somehow in a way that I don't even understand, it really transforms the relationship that people have with this place. It's like suddenly there's a connection, there's a relationship, there's a love 
And and people will often write to us and say, I can't believe it. You know, I didn't even really think I wanted to go and go to this place. And I ended up falling in love with it. Mm. You you talk a lot about beauty. And um, I, I want to read a quote about this gift of beauty. And, and then you also talk about the gaze. And that was a profound um, idea for me to just think about the gaze. So before I read this um, quote, Trebby, I would really love you, for you to share a little bit more about that gaze, because what you're inviting us to do is go to those places that are wounded and hurting on the planet, that are really compromised, and more than personifying them, of really see them as a living being, energetic part of this circle of life that we're talking about. So then gazing at what we might think is not beauty is part of the healing process for you and for the land. So can you talk Mm -hmm. about the gaze before we dig deeper into the beauty? The gaze is a, is a really wonderful way of seeing. It's a way of seeing that's kind of soft and open, curious, uh, Curious and at the same time accepting. It's about, it's different from staring because staring is very pointed and it, it's, um, it sort of is waiting for something to happen when you stare at something. You're waiting for something specific to happen. Like maybe you're standing outside of a, of a, of a cafe and there's some movie stars inside. You're waiting for them to come outside and you're staring. Um, but the gaze is, um, the gaze is open and it allows what we're looking at to sort of reveal itself slowly. And it's uh, it's also a way of being in the presence of a place um, or in a person um, that is not about trying to go in and fix. You know, if a place is damaged, the tendency would could, could be to go in there and say, well, I have to fix this. I have to restore. We have to plant new trees. We have to c- contact our Congress people. We have to do, 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 do. But this is just about relaxing into the presence of the place and kind of like being a sponge and letting ourselves be soaked up by the place and the place um, be soaked up by us. And it's, it's a restful kind of way of being present. And through this restful concentration, um, like little details start emerging and, um, and it's a really quite a fascinating process. You can do it anywhere at any time to any place. So this, um, I, I just think that this whole idea is brilliant. And I, when I think about this gaze and when I think about how you described being soaked up by it and allowing it to be soaked up by you, it's really this communion. And um, it's really not, when I read your words on the pages and those who are passionate that you've interviewed and, and talked to on these pages, it is really this very profound connection of a living being that is the earth. And I, and you yeah. use the example of sitting by the bedside of someone who's sick. And I'm thinking, you know, if, if we suffer a fracture or a wound or a disease, um, we, we sit with one another. Yeah. 
even if we're not conscious, right? We go, mm-hmm. we go to the hospital or the intensive care, we sit, we hold the hand, we gaze at the person, we offer our prayers. So we're really bringing our full self into that experience and into that connection with our loved ones. And that's how it feels when I listen to you. Um, so this gift of beauty, um, you wrote this quote, and I, I think it's important and I'll tell you why after I read this. When you make beauty for a wounded place, you have no idea who will witness either the act or the outcome. That is the point. You do, you do the thing because doing it is your whole imperative. You give and make not covenants on how your gift will be received. You give and discover in the doing how great is your own knack for doing this thing. It's as if you are returning home after a long absence to the world that has been waiting for you to recognize how much you love it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm, Do those words sound as beautiful to you when you listen to them as when you wrote them? I agree with them. (laughs) It's really funny. I go, yeah, yeah, that, that, I meant what I said there. Oh yeah. It, It really is a beautiful invitation. So really what we're talking about here of creating beauty is to let go of the outcome, let go of the expectation, but it's kind of like holding the hand of your friend in ICU. So you give examples like getting out sticks, drawing in the sand, gathering up twigs and leaves and rocks and creating a beautiful mandala or a beautiful picture, beautiful imagery. And you use this um, uh, on the website. I noticed the, the joy bird. Can yeah. you talk about the joy bird? Well, yeah, the red joy bird. The um, red joy bird. Thanks for the red. I forgot that. Yeah. Red joy, like radical joy for hard times. Yeah. It's, um, it's a symbol that we came up with sort of accidentally, the board of directors and I in the very beginning, um, because we we would we have this annual event called the Global Earth Exchange. And it happens in June and we invite people all over the world to go and make beauty at a wounded place that they care about. And the first year, um, you know, it was, it was it, it, we people did wonderful things, but some people just like they said, I don't know what to make. I don't know how to make beauty. So we came up with this idea about making a bird out of materials you find on site because everybody birds are everywhere. Birds are everywhere in the world and birds, you know, little kids start drawing these simple little forms of birds when they're very small and um, birds are uh, singers. Birds sing throughout all kinds of uh, disasters birds fly they they they're symbols of transcendence so we said if you'd like to just have an idea of what you could make when you make beauty for your wounded place make a bird and so I just love these birds that people come up with. I mean, people have made birds out of um, plastic bottles they've connected, collected from a beach, um, from stones, from um, trash that they found on a trail, including like buttons and beer cans and and uh, a piece of old, an old shoe. Um, just there, there was a woman who made a bird by lying on a beach and spreading her arms out. So they're just they're really, really beautiful. And it's a, it's such a lovely way of, of all these places being connected. Um, so that's the red joy bird. And it's it's our symbol. It's part of the logo. The bird flies around the world, bringing uh, bringing beauty wherever it goes. Mm. You also talk about creating hope. And um, and joy, 
And so sometimes the joy, sometimes this is ritual and we, I'll let you expand on ritual, but sometimes the joy is play. And I really like the idea of inviting us to go play in those places. If you think about using them and, and engaging the energy to go play there feels whimsical. It might feel crazy to some people that are going, why would you go to such a wounded place and play? But it is really bringing life and energy back to a space. So can you talk a little bit more about the, the joy yeah, well, I can say, first of all, the, you know, there have been some children um, who have led these global earth exchanges and children, of course, know exactly how to play. They don't care. Um, and they'll they'll find things to they'll find places to hide in if there's a, a, a beautiful old tree that's fallen down. It's a great fort. You can hide in it. It's, you can play house with with stones. And um and I think we all know how to play. We've just kind of forgotten. And if we allow ourselves, if we allow the place to sort of invite us in and immerse us, um, we can find ways to get engaged in it. You know, like, if it, is it an old tree stump? You know, what can you put on it? What can you, what, what kind of stones can you arrange on it? Is it a... Uh, is it a is it a beach that's littered? Well, pick up the trash and then make something beautiful out of the trash. Make a make a big sculpture or something. Um, it's just kind of like uh, back to your the point you made a few minutes ago is that if a place is alive, we can engage with it as if it ha it has things to contribute and we have things to contribute and we can share back and forth and that the whole act of playing enables us to re establish a new relationship with this place that's hurt and be less afraid of it less intimidated by it um less feeling that it's a, a strange taboo thing that we have to avoid um it it's a way of, of opening up a sort of a, a bubbly exciting scintillating creative part of ourselves Mm. And what about ritual? Yeah, well, ritual, I mean, I it's it's something that a lot of people have done. It, it's certainly not necessary. And a lot of people have done it in their own particular way. So like I, I have friends in Bali and um, the ritual that they do is it's a Hindu. It's the Balinese Hindu ceremony that they do. But um, but I love doing ritual and ceremony. It's um, for me, ceremony or ritual. It's um. It's a way of moving from one state of being to another state of being. And so ritual in a wounded place could be, for example, um, uh, surrounding the place with us. Uh, I'm just going to give an example of like um, you're in a clear cut forest. We actually did this when I led that group in the clear cut forest. We surrounded some of the tree stumps with uh, with other branches and that were scattered around it. And it was sort of like a symbolic way of surrounding the place with love. And then we stood in a circle and, and we we sang and chanted for the place. Um, it's so it's a symbolic uh, it, it's a symbolic way of, of giving something back to the land. Um, and even just walking around and, and, and exploring the place as it is now, that can be a ceremony because you can take on the, you can take on the persona of, of say of an animal or a tree or a stone and, and be it and experience what it's experiencing under these present conditions and then step back into being yourself and, 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 and wish it well and give it some beauty. So it's, um, it's a way of deepening into the experience 
and um, and 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 ceremony is a way of expressing in a temporal, physical way what you intend to have happen in a in a um, a, a, a sort of a lifelong philosophical way in the world. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I, I have a couple just questions from from that piece of the conversation. Is so this radical joy, this playing, this creating, this um, it, it it seems like it's counterintuitive. Where you may want to pray, you may want to have this really serious ceremony, you, you know. So you're encouraging us to do something very different. And do you get people saying, "Why would you go?" be joyful and creative and have fun in this space. Why aren't you grieving and mourning and calling your senators and, and doing something more? What do you say to them? How is this healing? Well, I say, first of all, grieving and mourning and calling your senators is crucial. We have to do that. And I think that I, I have a huge respect for activists who do those things, who restore places, you know, who who live in trees, who there's I mean, there's there. It's essential. And I say we can always find time to give beauty back to a place and to gaze at it. That's always possible. And the joy somebody asked me not too long ago when I was on my book tour, how do you replace the grief with the joy? And. And I said, I don't think you can. I think that in this world that we live in, where the natural world is increasingly diminishing and where climate change is having harder and harder effects and gas fracking and fossil fuel extraction continues, you can't simply say, oh, I'm just going to uh, I'm going to bypass the, the grief and, and feel joy. But I think there are these like um, there are these two really light, gentle feathers or blossoms that we hold in our hands and they can both be present. And the reason that joy is called radical is because as you say, it is unexpected. And the, these simple acts, which go kind of like they go against reason, go to a wounded place, get to know it as it is now, give it a gift of beauty out of what you find on site. That's like, what? It's almost like it's too weird and too simple. And yet when people do it, that 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 act is people feel emboldened they feel empowered they feel creative they feel like they have things in common with people that they didn't know that they had things in common with and they they see that they are they have the um the ability to give back to something that's given to them and so that's where that's why the joy is radical yeah and in that in that process that's healing. Yeah, that's, that's healing. so healing for all of us. Okay. So if we have someone um, listening right now, um, you talk about it's, it's so much more than just staying home and praying for the land and, and what have you. If we have someone at home that goes, I don't really know of a wounded place around me. Um, you talk about even smaller um, ideas of wounding um, that are that are just well, you have a lot of different examples in the book. But um, so here we are, like looking at the devastation of the wildfires. But what would you say to our listeners who say, you know what, I want to make this be a part of my life and a daily practice? What can I do? 
What would well, you say to them? People do say that to me. And, and um, they say, oh, well, you know, Trebby, I'd really like to do what you're suggesting, but we don't have any wounded places near us. And, you know, and I, can get, I get on Google and I can find something for them in 30 seconds. So I would say, you know, how, how is the wildlife doing in your area? Are there species that are extinct or becoming extinct? How are the hummingbirds? I mean, how are the um, how are the honeybees? I mean, um, are there are there trees that are being devastated by insect pests or or fungus or some other kind of disease? Um, how's the water? Like, if there is any p- p- absolutely pure water left in this world, I would love to know where it is. It's got to be very high and very far. Where the waterways of this country and this world are very very endangered. Um, how's the soil? Um, are there? Uh, uh, how is you? How is your community? Are there neighborhoods in your village that are being torn down? When I was in Seattle a few weeks ago doing a book reading, the people were really concerned with how the city is being torn up in order to make all these new housing developments, and then that was really where a lot of their attention was. So it doesn't even have to be nature; it can be places in the city, buildings, you know, historic buildings that people love, neighborhoods. Um, and there's just a little bit with a little bit of searching, you can find it. And in fact, on our website, we have a we have a place where you can type in your zip code and find 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 wounded places. So um, so they're everywhere. Unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah. they're everywhere. And fortunately, they're everywhere. So you, everybody can find a place to go and give something. Yeah. OK, Trevi, in a minute or less. <clears throat> What have you learned? What is the most important thing you've learned from creating radical joy for hard times? That's really easy, actually. I've learned to my enormous relief that grieving a place you love that's been hurt is universal. It transcends all kinds of boundaries and that the desire to make simple acts of beauty for it is uh, is a beautiful thing to do and an empowering thing to do. And that's universal, too. Mm. Trebby, this is a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate um, your approach. It's it's so admirable, and it feels really easy on my body. Like it doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, there's so much we have to do, we can't begin. It thank really you. is a positive approach, and I can see the benefits. So thank you so much for joining us today and talking about radical joy for hard times. Julie, thank you for your wonderful questions. I've loved the conversation. Mm, Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in with both Trebby and I today. I'd love to hear from you. Has this conversation been meaningful? Sign up for my email list. Send me uh, some feedback, a Facebook message. Suggest a, a guest of your own or leave a comment. I always love to hear from you. Also, come join me and the whole community at goodofthewhole.com. Now I want to leave you with the words of Trebby Johnson. Those who advocate for big change in the world might say more is needed for this world in crisis than acts of beauty. They are right. Solar energy is needed. Education is needed. Litigation against corrupt businesses is needed. Gardens are needed. Shelters for the homeless are needed. Clean water is needed. Restoration of damaged places is needed. But there is something you can do before you do any of those things. And while you're doing them and after you have done them, 
It is something you can do spontaneously or with careful planning alone or with another in a minute or two or over the course of a lifetime. You can find and make beauty in wounded places. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show. All things connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.